Welcome to The Voice of Adoptees, the podcast that gives adoptees a platform to share their stories, insights, and perspectives. I'm your host, David Schunk, an adoptee myself, and I'm here to explore the diverse and captivating world of adoption. Join me as we dive into the emotional roller coaster of the adoption process, the quest for identity and belonging, and the broader issues within the adoption community. This podcast is for adoptees, adoptive parents, birth parents, and anyone seeking a deeper understanding of adoption. Together, we'll amplify voices, foster empathy, and build a more inclusive and supportive world. This is the Voice of Adoptees, where your story matters. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees. Tonight, we're joined with Daria over in L.A. She has an interesting story to share with us about her adoption. She's adopted from Russia. We're very happy that she took the time out of her day to come chat with us. Daria, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Daria, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? What are you up to? Oh, gosh. I don't even know where to start. Well, I was adopted from St. Petersburg, Russia at six years old in the early 90s, which was a tough time. And then I like to always say I was in three different orphanages, three different families in America. So I was technically adopted twice, but to, I guess, long, uh, long story with, uh, or to make it short is after I was adopted into Michigan, into my first family between six and eight, because then I went to like a mid family. And then I with my family now at around eight years old. So I grew up in Michigan and now I'm here in LA. Wow. Okay. So that's interesting. Have you been back to Russia at all? Yes. So that I can definitely talk about later because that was quite the journey itself. But I went back two years ago and just a few days ago was actually my two-year anniversary that I celebrated of a reunion of my reunion journey. (laughs) Ah, perfect. All right. Yeah, we'll definitely get there. But let's focus on the beginning kind of stage of your story. So you were born in St. Petersburg. How much information, I mean, you were adopted at a later age, so uh, you probably have memories of St. Petersburg. Yes. What type of memories do you have to share? I definitely have a lot of memories. And it's funny because those memories are actually what took me back to reconnecting to my story and my journey and finding the pieces, kind of putting it all back together. But they're not they're not good memories. I have memories in the orphanages, especially the, I think it was the last orphanage. I have a lot of memories there. I have memories with my birth father. I I basically was with him around three, four years old before I was in the first orphanage. Those memories are more, I remember him drinking a lot and it was just me and him and he would leave a lot and I would eat raw sugar. I would eat dry oats. I like that. It was very, very poverty type of living. There was no like TV or anything to entertain myself. And I just knew that I had to be this older person very early on and not to basically be a kid. And I had to take care of myself a lot. So there was a lot of bad memories with that. Basically, you know, neglect all around, malnourishment. But some, I guess, good memories. One would be there's a playground in between where I lived with my birth father and the building across from us. And I would go there and I never wanted to play with the kids, but I noticed there's like this older man who 
was nearing death. He was getting older and he kind of had no one either. So I would go make friends with him and he would read to me. And it was just kind of a nice connection that we had. So I remember that as a good memory. And then the last good memory I have (laughs) before I ended up in the orphanages, because I don't really consider those good memories, but is actually what led me to the separation of my birth father. So I only remember being with him. And one time he came home, he wanted to go fishing. We walked down to, I think like the pond or the lake nearby. And he caught this huge mass of fish, which to me were bonding. I'm loving this moment, but whatever type of fish that he caught, it like bit his knee or sliced like some of his knee and his knee was hollow. And a few days went by and medicine wasn't working. So he went to a doctor's hospital nearby. And obviously I went with him. And from there, a nurse not only took me into a separate room to examine me, but another nurse had him and we were kind of separated from there. And there was an orphanage right next door. So that's how I ended up in my first orphanage. And I know a lot of us adoptees, especially Russian adoptees, have such different, you know, similar journeys, but kind of different stories. And I always felt very unique in mine as far as I wasn't like physically placed in the orphanage. I was separated at that time. And that memory is very strong. And it's always made me grow up and question like what happened? Why? Why was this allowed or how? Or That was going to be my next question is, I mean, was this legal? Well, you know, when I went back to Russia two years ago, I learned a lot about the system and just kind of retracing my story. I think at the time, you know, the 90s were a hard time. So a lot of us were placed in the orphanages. But then at the same time, I think a lot of us were, I guess, kind of separated or taken in a way. I, I wouldn't consider myself like stolen or taken. That wasn't the case. But, you know, maybe a nurse noticed I was neglected, malnourished, and maybe there was some conversation. I don't know how much conversation was had with my birth father, but some of us, some of these children would just be put into the orphanage by someone else, a third party, I guess. I always thought that's kind of what happened, but I ended up in the first orphanage. And then I have a few memories there actually with like this little girl, I think I was friends with, and I taught her to make friends with trees and hug the porch trees because you're young and you want to, you want to be creative during the traumatic moments. So I definitely took that role in the orphanages, kind of guiding the other children, orphans. Would you say you took up that role due to kind of like how the relationship was between your birth father and you? You were forced to kind of grow up a little faster, would you say, as a person? So you saw yourself a bit more mature maybe than the others. So that's why you felt like you needed to guide them a little bit. I've never thought about that before, but that is something um, that probably would make sense for sure. I think it's just kind of always naturally been in me to kind of like almost be this nurturing, guiding role. And, you know, I don't know if that was due to the story or just who I am or both, but I definitely can see that. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just, I was just, I'm just trying to help you, you know, put the picture together. That's all. That was the second orphanage or was that the first one? That was the first orphanage. And then the second orphanage was a lot more institutionalizing. 
And it was a lot larger, a lot more kids. And that one was a lot more traumatic for me. I think it kind of escalated in the traumatizing um, as I got into the second, the third one. But that one, I don't have a lot of memories because I think it was so traumatizing. I probably blocked a lot of it out. But I have one memory, which, um, you know, I, I would pee the bed and they would come in and and I had a stuffed animal. That was the only source of safety I had. And they would uh, take it away to punish me. And I just, I don't think there was any nurture in that orphanage. I never felt nurtured or cared after. Yeah. And then in the third orphanage, it was a lot, it was kind of in the middle of the two, kind of like a balanced one where it felt a little bit more, I guess, family style, if that makes sense. Not so segregating, but there were some good memories, but then there were some, there's some traumatizing ones. It's funny you ask me this because I'm in the past, like I haven't done an interview in a while. So yeah. if I'm for the place, that's probably why. No, that's, that's fine. It, you know, because your experiences are going to help others process things that they may have not thought of for 20 years. <laughs> oh, and it, it, the journey changes. And like, and when I first started talking about my journey and my story, you know, a few years ago during COVID days, I, I was not talking about memories. So this is definitely the most I'm sharing right now. <laughs> well, as long as it's positive, you're getting something out of it. That's what we're here for. It gets lighter over time to just know this is what happened and to be able to talk about it, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. It sounds like your experiences started off like traumatizing at first, and then you tried to use that to help guide others. And you carried that over to other institutions, probably hoping to do the same, yet it sounds like the environment was not allowing it in some ways. Now we're at the third orphanage, right? And how long were you there for? Yes, I always kind of pictured the timeline was between four and six years old. So two years, three orphanages. I was about six and a half when I when I was adopted out. But when I went back two years ago, I kind of learned that I could have been maybe three, three and a half. So it could have been three years that, you know, a little bit longer time that I was in. When you get these pieces, you now have a, a timeline to work with and it really changes things a little bit. It was definitely long enough to instill beliefs. And I guess before the age of eight, your life experience kind of creates a lot of who you are and your beliefs and behavior. And a lot of who I am, I think is not just from the the, the trauma of my birth father. And I will go into one memory of my birth mother. And, you know, I don't have really any memories with her, but the trauma of that and the separation and the loss, but then the orphanages and three different experiences. I think that really makes me who I am today. So I'm kind of uncovering and peeling those layers back today. Three orphanages. I mean, that's, <laughs> I'll be honest, I haven't heard that one before. So that's a first. And again, we have so many things in common, but there's, I like to call layers. All of us adoptees, there's different layers. Adopt domestic or international what's the next layer you know and i have a lot of unique layers but it sometimes they can be kind of lonely in some ways i feel like you look back and you think about everything you've gone through i bet maybe you might feel a sense of loneliness because you're thinking wow who else out there went through three different orphanages and saw the things i saw experienced what i saw you know granted if you've gone through it 
there's probably someone else who's gone through it too. Maybe not, maybe doesn't many orphanages, but maybe they've gone through two. Or at least they're from the same country and they can relate to a lot of the feelings you have, that's for sure. And I think, like you said, you're peeling back those layers. It's starting on the outside from what you remember. And then now you're going to go deeper and deeper and really kind of self-reflect on all that. And I think that's what you're slowly starting to do as you get older. And it's cool because you get to find a lot of things you didn't know about yourself. And then on the flip side, there might not be some things we like to talk about that we learn about ourselves as, as we get older. But I do have a question that's popped into my head. So when you went to each orphanage, what was the record keeping like in terms of documentation? Oh, I roll my eyes. <laughs> I only asked because you were saying how you just were putting like this timeline together and you realized maybe it was you were adopted younger than you thought or because you mentioned something about being th maybe you were three or three and a half rather than six to a, f a four to six that you were talking about earlier. I assume the documents didn't really add up or what was your birthday changing? I mean, you know, that's something that I will talk about it, but it's it's very frustrating because it's so confusing and there's yeah. just. There's no answer to it. When I went back to Russia, there's no answer to it. And even today, there's just no answer to it. It's I look at it this way. I don't know if you're familiar with the game Telephone that we would play as kids. Oh, yeah. Yep. Or I think it's called Telephone. Yeah. When you say one thing and you're with a circle of, of friends and you say one thing into someone's ear, they repeat it to the next person. By the end of the... It's something entirely different. Yeah. You know, and that's how I view my story is the documents and the paperwork. It's just not there. And with my journey, I actually forget about that's really important. But with my story, I don't have any documents or, or anything. So obviously that all... When I was adopted into my first family out of Russia, they are responsible for hanging on to all of that. And at their own goodwill, when I was relinquished, actually, from them, they disappeared the paperwork, to put it nicely. So when I wanted to go on my journey, I didn't have anything to go off of. But the only thing I did have is that I think like I have like my original passport, which is so flipping special and important. And then I think my original like birth certificate, I think, and that was enough. But as far as any information on my past or my biological parents' names, anything like that, or the orphanages or any documents they passed down, that was not there within that family. And it's actually, when I went back to Russia, the first orphanage is now a kindergarten. So that paper trail, I don't even know how to find my second and my third orphanage because the first one is now a kindergarten. And we found out that when that happens, the documents are archived somewhere we don't know. They could be thrown out. There could be an orphanage director from years ago that still has them. It's a dead end for me when it comes to that. You mentioned that the documents, when you were adopted to your family and to the United States, you said the documents basically no longer exist. What documents do you know that came with you to the United States, if you know which ones you are looking for? And I only ask because you might have heard of the Freedom of Information Act. 
No. Okay. Well, <laughs> there's uh, this act in the United States called the Freedom of Information Act. And if you are 18 or older, an adult, you can actually petition the U.S. government for a copy of certain records as a right of a U.S. citizen. So even if you're, only reason why I say is part of the adoption process for the American citizens, especially adopting abroad, is all their paperwork gets copied, stored with the adoption agency they used. And anything filed in terms of citizenship gets filed with the country, right? sometimes with your local court or whatever. So basically this act says if you fill it out, you want all copies relating to you and your adoption that is in the United States and you will get a copy of everything that they have on file. So I strongly suggest you explore that. I can help you out with that, no problem. That sounds really interesting. The tricky part is, and I definitely want to take you up on that. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, absolutely. The tricky part is I'm not in like perfect standing with my first adoptive family, but I am in contact with them. Um, the beauty is you don't even need to talk to them. Well, here's the thing. So I thought that through, but the crazy part is we had a translator. They had a translator that would have all this as well. And the, you know, she would have a name. She would have memories. Because obviously I went back, I reconnected, I'm reunited to some degree in my store now. But the only thing that... Um, keeps me passionate about these documents is because I want to reconnect to the orphanages and the memories. Like I like to retrace my steps and I would love to visit those places and give back myself and put my little Dasha self back there. And, you know, that's important to me, but a lot of that is taken away because the first adoptive family has that power. And I, I think I did ask, what was the process like and who did you go through and where? And I just didn't get those answers. So so do you don't remember even adoption agency that they used? No, I'm not. I'm always gaslit is, is the best word. I'm always gaslit about it. And they just always say, we don't remember. We don't remember. But there's ways. Who will not remember? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll help you with all this. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll, fig- we'll figure it out. I know it's in Michigan. <laughs> now we got that straightened out. Let's go back to your stories. When you finally were adopted to the United States, tell us your early memories of the U.S. when you came here. What did you think about the U.S.? What was your early friend group, if you had one, or did you connect with anyone? Or I love that you're asking these questions because... No one's really asked those specific questions yet, and I haven't shared that really. But before I share that, I do want to say one memory of my birth mother. Oh, yeah, sure. Of course. I don't have really any memory of her, and there's a reason why that I'll get into in my reunion not later. But the one memory I have with her is a good memory. I'm pretty sure it was her. We were mushroom picking in a forest. And at this point, I try to figure out the age, but I, I think I was old enough to somewhat walk. So. I think it was one of my first memories and then it just kind of was a disappearance after that. So yeah, that's the good. Again, my memories are, some of them are good, but it leads to bad. And in this case, it seems like it was good leading to unknown. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Well, when I came over to America, so this is by my first adoptive family. They grabbed me at six and a half. And we, I think we took like two flights and it felt like forever. And I just didn't know what was going on. I remember they got me like a Snickers bar and it was my first time having a Snickers bar. And I just <laughs> yeah. loving it. And I don't remember all this, but 
due to the, our conversations now, we've mentioned like, you know, there was just, they didn't know any Russian. I didn't know any English, you know, it just was hard to communicate. And I'm sure I was terrified and had no idea what was going on. And yeah, well, I'm sure. And, you know, I, one, I need to emotionally express myself too. I don't know how because I can't speak the language. So I think that really took a toll on our dynamic within that family. You know, of course, um, international adoptees or prospective adoptive parents. Now I think it's getting better, but there needs to be resources. There needs to be counseling, trauma courses, whatever it takes to help that child. So for me, I'm sure you're familiar. I think a lot of us Russian adoptees have reactive attachment disorder. Nope, we're perfect. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Yeah, I've heard that term used uh, quite a bit and uh, separation anxiety. And there's a lot of factors that come into play. But yeah, so, you know, I think I noticed as I got older, obviously, that I definitely had quite a lot of reactive attachment with them and really most of my relationships until I feel fully safe. You know, that attachment is very vulnerable for us. It's like times a thousand for us adoptees. Yeah, I've heard that. And, you know, I think it took me probably a while to adjust to them. I definitely viewed my first adoptive mom as my mom. Mm -hmm. I clung to her, still do. I, my heart is just very bonded. Not to say it's the healthiest love, but it is always there for me. Now, my adoptive first dad, I never considered him a, a father figure ever. And, you know, maybe it's unfortunate for him, but to me, that's my truth. And maybe there could have been because I had such ties to my birth father and maybe I just was not connected to this person. I think it's definitely both, but I did really cling on to my first adoptive mom. And they said that I learned English quite quickly, picked it up really fast, like through reading books and looking at pictures. And I seemed like a, a happy little girl. And then I'm sure the reactive attachment started building and I started acting out and I started doing things that would make them question if I want to be their adoptive child. And I think there has to be something said where I, in that family, that's when I actually felt the most relinquished and abandoned in my life. That's another layer that I have, I think. It's not necessarily that, you know, there is definitely some, I call it separation from my biological family, but when it comes to my first adoptive family, I view that more as rejection, abandonment. So basically one thing led to the another where it just was not a healthy fit anymore. And I was acting out to be seen by Child Protective Services eventually to get involved and be like, we got to get her into another home setting where she feels safe and comfortable. So I went to my, my second or mid family, which I never talk about them because it's not much to talk about. And I'm not sure how long I was with them, maybe not even half a year, but they would listen in on my phone calls um, to my first adoptive family. And they just, there was no boundaries and it was, it made me very uncomfortable. So eventually I went, I boomeranged back into the first family until it became very well known that my first adoptive mom was just frustrated and just done. So 
There's a lot of Russian adoptees in the early 90s that were sent back to Russia. I could have been that through this family. I easily could have. I don't really think about that much, but I have journals from when I was this age and I did journal. I don't want to go back to Russia. I don't want to die there. I would say horrible things that why am I saying those things as a little girl is because they're telling me these things. So it was, I'm sure, a lot more jarring and scarring that I give it credit for. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, because the love is still there, but it's it's toxic. So eventually I went back to that family. And then eventually I, I found my family, the Rottenbergs, at eight years old. I would be starting off as the only child and... I just kind of fit in pretty well. And they they say now they gave me the space. They gave me space. They didn't manipulate me into eating food. Maybe I didn't want to eat. I think there's something to be said for I was six years old when I left Russia. Maybe there's foods that I don't really want to try yet in America. Maybe maybe I want the, the cheap buckwheat versus like lobster. I think there has to be an easing of things. I know your question was kind of like the culture shock rushing to America. I think that's one thing for me. It was, I was hiding food in the first family, like weird foods that I felt safe and comfortable eating versus forced to eat a home cooked fancy meal, which is love and amazing. But to me, I didn't know how to accept or want that. So that took time. And, you know, I adjusted into my family now pretty well. And then eventually we, they adopted two uh, half-brothers, and they're my younger brothers now. And we were all very different, but basically I grew up pretty normal. And I kind of, once I got into that family or this family, I kind of just let it all go. And I just, there was no attachment to Russia because it was so severed at this time. Now, this is three families later after Russia. So why do I need to bring Russia up and in the stories and the and the questions and this and that? But of course, it's in my head and my heart of what happened. But I never talked about it. And I silenced myself and I became, well, when I was little, I was very happy-go-lucky. I, I right. had the smile. I was known for my smile. I was known for, I'm Russian and I'm adopted. And I just was like chanting that to everybody i just felt so special and so unique and then obviously teenager years that changes and i became a lot more closed off and as i got older i got a lot more bitter a lot more angry a lot more disconnected from myself like absolutely disconnected and i didn't really understand it until like my older 20s now I'm in my 30s. So this was a few years ago where I started really, like understanding, oh my gosh, I have this whole other past and I'm living like it never existed. Like it, like I'm an alien that was brought to America and my life started then. That's not fair to me and that's not fair to my roots. And what do I want to do about that? So that's how I started my journey of reunion and really just reconnecting to my memories was the biggest step. Yeah. And we'll get into that in just a second, but I have a question that I don't want to forget, or maybe it's an observation. You say the third family, how you kind of just fit in and things just kind of worked itself out. 
I think you you said it perfectly. You said that your adoptive parents kind of step back and just let you figure things out. And I think that right there kind of shows why you were able to succeed, in my opinion, because they are, for the first time, that was a family giving you space to just be you and figure it out. And sometimes that's what it takes. I mean, it's hard for adoptive families to, well, certain families to like let go or to not be involved 100% or, you know, some of them try to show their love in really odd ways, but <laughs> comes off wrong. It sounds like with this, the last family that finally made everything feel comfortable was just what you've been searching for is you just needed to figure something out on your own and to finally not have someone interfere or make you feel uncomfortable and you finally got that and you know lo and behold look uh, look what happened i mean <laughs> it's magical what happens when you finally get the space to do it yourself and i think that's that's something to take note of but that's what i know so i think that's really special thank you thank you for saying that and absolute credit to them i'm one that you know believes in god higher power universe everything's connected yeah, yeah. I, I, for me like just now i'm you know at a point where i'm like well, I have been here for a while, but viewing my whole life story from an outside perspective, I'm like, yeah, it was about time that I, I, you know, that was, it was needed Yeah, with where I was headed and what I needed for sure. So that's awesome. You said, so high school was a little, you were a little bitter in high school. <laughs> you know, okay. So going back to the bitterness, I have to share one very important memory that I failed to share the first time or earlier, but do why I was bitter, where it all stemmed from is my last orphanage. And the reason why is my birth father came to visit me in my last orphanage. So that built Wow, that's a that's a big surprise. Yep. Okay. Bit of a story twist. But I I've always held on to that, still do. And I just what goes through my head is why did you come to visit? What was going on? Was this a goodbye? Was this your trying? Again, Russia, sometimes they take the parents' rights away from them and you can't get your child back at all. Other times there's some corruption when it comes to foreign adoptions. You know, it depends on the the judge, the the orphanage director, the the family that the prospective family, you know, there's a lot of factors as to why didn't he just get me right then and there? He, to my knowledge, to my memory, he was sobered up, cleaned up, and he came bearing gifts like fruits and coins and just was trying. And so that has always been heavy on my heart as to like, I think it's a big part of the bitterness is towards him. Like, hey, what are you doing? You know, get me out. <laughs> I've been yeah. crying out for you for years in these orphanages like you're here now that's great but now what and I don't think I really gave him much attention when he visited and that was that and I kind of just like ended it with my memories with him there but what that did was when I came to America I felt like there was so much there was no closure there's Absolutely no closure. So then it was almost like a part two of separation again. That was just confusing. So it's still unknown to me, but yeah. Wow, your story is definitely unique. But and again, in like a, in, in, you know, maybe not, a, I wouldn't say 
positive 100% type of way, but it's a, at least you're explaining it and you're going to be helping a lot of people and everyone that's going to listen to it's going to really get a lot from this. So this is very helpful again. Thank you. Now let's get to hopefully some exciting stuff. Why don't you tell us about the prep that it took to get back to Russia? What did you have to do? How long did it take? When did you start? So when I was younger, I would write these short stories. I would write poems. I would draw pictures. Everything was always mm-hmm. about my story in Russia, story in Russia. I was always that. I was always trying to self-express that through artistic ways. As I got older, I shut that all down. <clears throat> I even, this may be hard to like really believe, but I actually was so closed off from my past that I actually forgot that I was born in Russia, that I'm Russian. Like I completely forgot it. And when people would come up obviously and ask me, Daria, where's that name from? I'm like, it's Russian. End of story. Like, and end it. Like, don't talk to me. Like, I don't even, yeah. I don't even want to know you now. <laughs> and now I'm like, Gosh, that is so closed off. It's crazy. But that's how much pain was stored. Yeah, it's not your fault. It's just human nature. We block out things that we don't, you know, it can be about anything. So, And our stories are so flipping hard to talk about, first of all. So uh, just by asking, what's your name? What do you want to know? My whole life story? I mean, it can go so deep, you know. So there's a lot of protection I learned to protect myself from my own emotions and pouring too much out of who I am, my story, this and that. Yeah. So basically I moved to LA when I was 26 and I started a new chapter. And what that led me to was I'm out here on my own. (laughs) And now I get to actually be on a spiritual journey. And I was on a flight for work and I like to look out the window and just kind of reflect and small person in this big world. And going through my head is like, something's missing. I have this huge void in my heart. I have this huge hole, huge pain in my gut. Like what is going on? And, you know, the obvious answer, we know what that is, but at the time I wouldn't allow myself to see it. Yeah, And, you know, I obviously, I asked myself, God, everything. I was like, what is this? Give it to me straight. And I'm like, Russia, I I need to get back to Russia. I need to not just physically and figure out my story and reconnect, but also like emotionally and mentally. And I basically made a promise to myself since then, I'm going to do that. And, you know, this was a few years, well, a few years before the pandemic, And really what I started to do was like, okay, I'm going through all the little documents I have and asking questions towards my first family, towards my family now. And like an investigator and doing all these things, everything was dead ends because of the telephone game. Everything was dead ends. And my I knew deep down my memories are going to make at least one of those dead ends clear. And that's kind of what happened. But Basically, the pandemic hit, and that's when I was extra open towards my journey and my story. And I basically was Googling, how do I find my Russian family as an adoptee? And it's just the, it's really the silliest, saddest thing that we even have to get there. It's like 
28 years old Googling this. It's pretty crazy. And so I started working myself up emotionally, mentally. I need answers. I need answers. I've always wanted answers. Like what happened? I need closure. Right. Without it, I don't know how I've survived or will. And I just became super passionate about it. No backing down, no telling me what to do. You know, a lot of people in my journey specifically are all like, you just have to let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. Easier said than done, right? If I will look at it this way, if I let it go, and I'm very stubborn, and I think yeah, I think most Russians are, yeah. Yes, it's a very Russian. Hundred percent, absolutely. We're very. I like that. I love that about us because we want what we want. We're gonna get it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that's what I did um, through myself, through God, through all of it, the universe my ancestors too. Like I put all that together. There was a miracle out of this, all the dead ends of there's no answers. There's no answers. Let it go. Move on, do this, do that. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm going in this for myself and for my future. And if I listen to those voices and some of them would be family, friends, you know, whatever, I would not have any type of reunion you know i wouldn't have found that so basically after you know googling that i found this opportunity to be on a documentary show that's based in new zealand called reunited so i was a part of that and that show basically reunited russian american adoptees and russian new zealand adoptees so i was one of the lucky i think six people with my passion my journey and just all the dead ends during the pandemic, I basically we started filming my my journey here in LA. They filmed my family in Michigan, and I was very lucky that they were a part of all that and just talk about my story and this and that. And yeah, next thing you know, the next step is we have to go to Russia. So that's when I went was two years ago, just last week. And you know, I was there for like I think ten days. We filmed for like six days and. Everything was dead ends. And I learned a lot about Russia. I learned a lot about, and not really a lot about my past, but just I really, when I was there, even through the dead ends, I was gaining something really, really clear, which was every place I visited, which was where I, I lived with my birth father, the first orphanage that's now a kindergarten. Yeah. Um, certain places, the registration office, I think Zags or whatever it's called, but those certain places, I learned that my memories are real and I don't have to second guess myself anymore. And I can be confident in that. And I, I gained such a confidence and peace when I was there, aside from the reunion, <laughs> it, it, it was so important that I went to that playground And this is all in the documentary, but when I went to that playground, the biggest moment for me was to sit there and tell myself and realize I was just a little kid. I didn't have to grow up so fast. That was like a big piece for me. And I felt very, I just, you'd think I'd be so traumatized there where I used to live, that actual apartment vividly. my I had picturesque memories. I could draw this place. When I went there, I'm like, yep, I'm here. 
not no fighting any emotion. I'm just here. And I felt such at peace and so important for us to do that. Aside from just reunion, I think it's really important for us to reconnect to places, emotions, memories, feelings, all of that, and retell our, I guess our inner child connect to that and retell a different story in our adult selves. Yeah. On the last two days of filming, there was dead end. So basically the journey was going to be, well, you're here, you reconnected to your memories. It's special. It's great. And it's kind of the end of the road. Um, obviously, just for film land, for me, my journey keeps going, right? Right. By miracle, like literally by miracle, crazy steps to get there. We found my aunt and my cousin of my birth father's side. So it was Mm -hmm. real. It's really been special because it is on my birth father's side. And I have such a strong call for him and longing for him. But what we also, you know, obviously (laughs) the big question is, well, what about your birth mom and birth father? You know, so when it comes to my birth father, he Basically, all my gut instincts and all my timeline memories, I think, have been proven to be true through what I found out. I think he's had a lot of loss in his life during that time. He lost his mom. He lost his sister. He lost, we think, my mom. We think that she passed away very early on, tragically, which I haven't shared that publicly really yet. But you know, with all that. And then he lost me in the orphanages. You know, that's like what, four or five people have lost. And not only that, but you lost your job. Like during the nineties, everything collapsed and was going to crap. And, you know, you're losing your sense of safety, stability, finances, people that you love. I put myself in his shoes and obviously I only have love. I don't have the bitter anger towards him. Like I once did. I just have understanding, like, I get it, the drinking, the depression, the neglect, you couldn't even take care of yourself. Like, I absolutely get that. And there's just so much forgiveness and peace and just lightness towards him. While on the other side, sometimes, you know, I also learned when I was there, my parents, my birth father, I think he was 42 when he had me and my birth mother was 38 or something. They were older. And I learned that and that really rocked my world. That really shocked me because I'm 32 now. So let's, let's do the math and let's, so the thing is like on the other side, I also go through like, okay, well, you're in your forties. Like you also could have gotten it together a little bit. I have a little bit of that judgment, but that's, that's perfectly fine. I'm human, but overall it's peace and love. But Basically, what we think, what I mainly think happened is he disappeared. He vanished after he visited me in that orphanage. Maybe he couldn't get me out. Whatever that was, it. I remember him being sobered up. There's a huge possibility still that he's still out there just being a missing person. Maybe started a new life somewhere. I, you know, just fled. And he's been missing since. And my aunt, his sister, and, you know, my aunt and me now have each other to kind of fulfill that puzzle piece and to kind of grieve together and have this mystery, like, 
share that in common now. She's not alone. My aunt yeah. is suffering too, you know, losing so all those people and then her brother and then me. She remember they remembered me. My aunt did. And 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 it's it's very special in a weird way. It's beautiful. My aunt I just remember on my way to meeting them because I had all these dead ends. I was terrified because I knew they were going to just be so overwhelmingly accepting and loving. And let's be honest, I haven't really had that. And, you know, just biological connection and love is different from adoptive. And that's just the end of the story for me. You know, it's, it's just different. It's a different type of love. That's all. And it needed to happen. I knew it would happen. And going back to when I flew out of Russia at six and a half years old, I remember looking out the window and being like, there's still so many unclosed chapters here. There's people here still that I need to reconnect with or that I need to find. And that's what happened. I found her, I found my cousin and still the pain of where's where's my father you know that that kills me inside and that's something that i have to you know there's really no way to grieve that because my hope and prayers are he could still be out there somewhere just a missing person and then when it comes to my birth mother with the story that my aunt confirmed my first adoptive family confirmed through the passing down of information through the orphanages and my memories confirm is that she could have passed away at a very, when I was very young and tragically, uh, I have a lot of tragedy in my story that I'm now, you know, two years later grieving because when I first reunited, it's just all overwhelming, but rainbows and butterflies and Right. And then it takes you so long to really process it. I mean, I can, you know, granted my story wasn't, I guess, as negative in certain ways, but I mean, everyone's story still has disappointment in it, probably in some way. And I remember just when I was in Russia, having that reconnecting moment or whatever, those two weeks that I was there was, it was just uh, like, I was speechless most of the time. Like I had no emotion I was kind of quiet and which is unlike me. You can ask anyone, they say I talk way too much. And <laughs> but uh, and I was just like speechless. And then here I am, you know, uh, I mean, even then five years went by and I was still kind of thinking about it. And then now we're at another five years. So it's been about almost 10 years since I've been back to Russia. And and you had a reunion there? Yeah. Yeah, I did. How old were you when you were adopted? So I was adopted closer to two. Okay, so no no memories really, right? So I don't have any memories, yeah, no. But, you know, I mean, it was very, I don't know, you know, I mean, I learned I had siblings over there. I learned that my sister was born one year after me, literally in the same month. I was born in September. She was born in September. And, of course, you know, I'm going to ask that question for the rest of my life. What really happened in one year that made a difference that I was adopted and she wasn't? Did your financial status really change that much? I mean, so that's, I'm never going to get an answer. And to this day, my biological mother is very not stable. Let's put it that way. She called me out of the blue a couple months ago, like 10 times until I picked up. And she decided to video chat me at like two in the morning, her time, you know, just really intoxicated and just rambling for hours and showing me her flat and 
like just to put it in perspective, she was trying to explain to me that she was mad because you can't smoke in her building. And the best part was she was explaining this while she was sitting inside her apartment smoking. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't think she connected the two dots. I'm just like, okay, so you're telling me that you're not allowed and you're all mad as you're doing it. Like, yeah, okay, she's not clearly in the... I want to say one thing for you and for other adoptees. Look at me. You know, I don't... I, I have a reunion, which, first of all, I never thought I would have, ever. Like, ever right. actually right. pictured this because I was almost just closing that chapter. But when it comes to my birth father and mother, technically they're two missing people. Because one thing I'll say about my birth mother is there's no death certificate, death record, and there's none for my father either, if that's what happened. So it's two major mysteries, let alone some of us may have just one. I have two. So technically, you know, the term like orphan, there's either a true orphan or a social orphan. I could be that true orphan. Like that's a real term. And, you know, that's, it's just, it's all very, very confusing and, and frustrating. And it's still very much a part of my journey. But hearing what you said about like your birth mother and just that connection, like for me, obviously I, I want what I don't have. I would love for that frustration and, and this and that and and you know maybe disconnection at times and whatever that may be but all of us have such different things and we all want what we may not have and exactly and sometimes we have to just be happy with what we got and one thing that I I do know that holds me pretty at most peace that I can get is I know that I was loved. I know that I come from love. Like I know that my biological mother, my biological father, they they married. They were in love. They had me shortly after. Yeah. And my story is due to circumstance, due to collapse, due to what happened to her, if that's the story. Because also I'm left with what if she is still out there for some crazy reason? The story got told wrong through telephone. You know, what if she just left? What if she fled my birth father and myself? Well, you know, who knows? Because there's no there's no end to that for me. And that's part one of my journey of reunion. There's more parts that I hope for. And time is very valuable in our stories. And I want to say this out loud. I'm taking a long break before I go on part two. Yeah, never forget. Spend time for yourself and for your well-being absolutely but with that i'm risking time because my birth father would be in his 70s same with my birth mother and or they could be both passed away and i find out horrific things or this or that or more dead ends whatever the story unfolds to be i want to continue that not just for myself but for them and also for my aunt because She's just as much a part of this as I am. She's grieving just right. a lot. She wants to know what happened with her brother, you know, and I do feel responsible and resourceful enough where if it takes a PI or, you know, more knocking on doors in Russia, whatever that takes. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like we might need to uh, go that direction. I think that's something that like... I don't give myself credit for enough is how really difficult my journey is as far as getting answers. It's two missing people. That's really hard. And, you know, this may, this may come off 
I guess, hard to hear or, or a little strange, but how I feel is there's wars going on in the world. And I think about the families and the children being separated. And my heart goes out to those parents. My heart goes out to those children. You know, if they have to flee to, for safety, whatever that, you know, my story may not be exactly that, but I, I really do feel for those children when they get older, I share that pain. I understand what that's like. Yeah, you're connecting with that because that's a part of your story in some ways. So you have a unique experience that others don't. So you can understand on a whole different emotional level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's where I'm at now in my journey is it's like, I feel like we need to always ask each other, like, where are you at now? Because things are going to change and perspectives are going to change new information or whatever it is, new emotions. But where I'm at now is like, part two will be when I'm ready. And then also, you know, the grieving just, I don't know how to grieve because they're is nothing substantial to grieve. So I'm very soul and heart connected. And, um, you know, I do know some of the ancestors that have passed away on my birth father's side. Um, so I do, you know, know that they're like guiding more in my journey and our journey, our story. I think the really hard part for me is when I listen to other adoptee journeys and stories, I get triggered myself because one, I can only imagine how overwhelming it is, but they find so many family members. And for me, that's not the case. I just have my aunt as my closest immediate family. And then I don't know anything about my birth mother's side because after she passed or disappeared or whatever happened, there's dead ends as far as her last name. Obviously, all my grandparents are passed away by now. It's just very... Age and time is very, very crucial in our journeys. And I want adoptees to know that. Like, if you have a will, just remember there, there could be time that goes away. We just, we have this pandemic, you know, you don't know what could happen in life with people's health or people's age. I shockingly, you know, going in this journey, I didn't know my parents were. 40 or so when they had me, I thought they would be like 26 or 30 or whatever. No, you know, so maybe don't risk that and push yourself a little bit. I do believe in that. So you don't regret it later on to a degree. That makes total sense. So as long as you're content with your journey and what you've gone through so far, you know, I think it's very mature that you're spending the time to not jump ahead and rush things. And, you know, only take that next step when you're ready. And I think that's, that says a lot right there. Because, you know, there are a lot of adoptees who really want something. They really want something. They get this information. And then sometimes it's very little. Sometimes it's a lot. But regardless, it's overwhelming. And then sometimes, you know, you get cases where they regret, like, jumping into things so quickly. Because now they are over-processing it. Then they start obsessing about it. And then it becomes their entire life. And it's just, you know, if only you took that little extra time, <laughs> we might, we could have maybe avoided that a little But I like that you said obsessing. I think that's something that for me worked well. I actually had to obsess definitely, to get to where I'm at. But now I'm kind of free falling 
not knowing what's going on, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not showing up every day towards my adoption journey. I, I can't, you know, I have to get back to work. I have to get back to my life. I took a few years emotionally, mentally, physically, financially to be able to process this. I think it's really important to also know yourself as the adoptee, know yourself, how sensitive you may be. For me, I'm a really sensitive person. So everything hits me way harder than maybe the average person. And I knew that going in and I had to prepare that as best as I could. I think lastly, what I'll say with that towards adoptees is trust yourself along the way. There definitely came a time where my passion was stronger than my trust in myself, if that makes sense. I you know, when the time came, like I'm going to be flying to Russia. And then when I was there and I'm maybe finding out some information during those moments, you feel out of body and you don't know how, who to trust, what to trust, let alone yourself. You don't feel safe. You feel that true deep fear coming on and trusting yourself and finding peace and confidence, I think is like really what's most important in our journeys. That was a perfect way to put it. Normally, I ask, you know, people at the very end, if you have any advice to pass on, what would it be? But I think there's no need to ask that. You pretty much just (laughs) gave it away. And I would definitely say trust your gut. Trust your gut. Don't like, how do I say this? There's I know there's Chinese adoptees that I'd like to say have a lot more of a challenge as far as dead ends, as far as finding they're missing pieces of their story and any, you know, reunion connection. Like I understand that because of my own journey. I just think there's, there's always a way there's always a way. I don't know how, but I just always believe in it and trust your gut, trust your intuition. If you don't have memories, trust your intuition. That's all you can do. Never give up and always have the belief that there's something out there and don't quit until you've turned over every stone. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Dara, it's been a pleasure speaking with you this evening. We really appreciate your time again. And that was that really is an incredible journey. And we're here for you and support you in any way. Uh, definitely come back and see us again when uh, you have any updates or if you want to share anything else that you come across along the way. You know, we're always interested to hear your story. Thank you so much again. It really means a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad we're able to make this happen and took me some time to get into the flow of sharing everything. But if any adoptee resonates or finds something out of connection with my journey, like I would love to hear from them because I find myself helping or or like you said, kind of at the beginning, like maybe being that person for others, but maybe I need that connection for myself. And in feeling less alone in those layers, I think validating each other is really important and sharing those things is important. Absolutely. We'll be sure to include ways to uh, get in touch with you. So thank you again. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Spasiba. Folks, that was Daria from beautiful LA sharing her story this evening. Thanks for tuning into another episode of Voice of Adoptees. You can always find us at www.voiceofadoptees.com. Listen to our episodes. They'll be airing every Wednesday on iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Pandora, and Spotify, and many, many more. If you're interested, drop us a line. If you know someone, send them our way. We'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks for listening to Voice of Adoptees. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave a review. See you next time.